This is The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. In this episode, Brian Joffe's second act is a bet on rummer recovery. It's exactly 30 years since chartered accountant Brian Joffe created Bidvest, a multinational conglomerate which peaked at a valuation of 160 billion rands before the unbundling of its food service arm. With that deal done, Joffe felt happy to leave his creation and soon afterwards embark on a second act called Long for Life. Investors loved the story of this experienced entrepreneur returning to the fray, especially small punters who saw it as a chance to get in on the ground floor with a partner who has legendary deal-making and capital-allocating talents. We're among the fans, having allocated... 8% of our BizNews SA Champions portfolio to Joffe's new creation, but it's been a rough ride. Initially, Long for Life shares traded at a generous premium to their pre-listing issue price. But as the South African economy came under increasing pressure, so too have Long for Life's shares. This year so far, the stock has lost a third of its value. It now trades just above the level at which Joffe himself invested 100 million rand. He's clearly chafing at what's happened to the share price, and not surprising given the competitive nature of this one-time golfing professional. But first things first, let's find out how Long for Life was born. When I saw Jacko Marie from Standard Bank uh, after the unbundling which they were involved in, he said to me, you should do something now, you should do something new, and that's, that's sort of got me going. You decided then to put your own money in, raised a, a couple of billion rands. Uh, who, did, who came along for the ride with you? Well, the, the principal backers were Standard Bank and Investec, but there were, there were a few other institutions that made up the difference. So we raised two billion at the time. Investec and Standard Bank, as I recall, put in about, about 400, 400 million of that. And the share price since then, uh, they came in at five rand. You put your own money in at four rand. Uh, if I work back... You could have done better we at were this point. Money. Of putting your money in the yeah. bank. I mean, yeah. Well, Alec, that's life. Sometimes you get it right, sometimes you get it wrong. But it's you know, it's a five day game, so you know, one can't look at it currently. I tell you I tell you what's I mean, we obviously have very difficult market conditions and the, the situation for us is a little bit exacerbated by the fact that when we bought the whole sport, we principally had a, a share swap. And obviously, the institutions that swapped into the long-for-life shares, base costs reduced uh, significantly uh, relative to the long-for-life price. Um, so they, they, they're not losing money. So, it's, you know, it's a, it's a bit of an overhang that currently exists. And I guess over the next short while, it will unwind itself. Some interesting recaps. As a younger man, Joffe worked at Standard Bank where he and the bank's subsequent chief executive, Jacko Marie, were colleagues. What became Bidvest was created out of a business called Unisec that was previously owned by Standard Bank. So the bank and Marie know all about Joffe's talents. For its part, Investec was also involved at the birth of Bidvest. It was the new company's primary banker. The Holdsport Takeover, a company better known through its flagship brand Sportsman's Warehouse, was confirmed by Long for Life shareholders last October, just six months after the listing. 
In the context of the new company, this was a huge bet. The sporting goods retailer now generates almost two-thirds of Long for Life's revenues and profits and virtually ten times that of 200-store beauty salon franchise Sorbet, which was bought soon after the April 2017 listing. While Hold Sport brought some scale, it also required a more than doubling in Long for Life's issued shares, a decision which caught suddenly diluted supporters by surprise. So why did Joffe use equity? the most expensive currency around to do the deal? There are two reasons. One is, first, firstly, we never... The, the, the value of the whole sport deal, as I recall it, was about $2.5 and, and we only had $2 billion. So the institutions, in order to be able to buy it, at, at which was then more or less the kind of the, the market price, they didn't want to exit at the time. They principally wanted to be involved in, in, the, in the long for life story going forward. So both from a financial and an and, and affordability point of view, that this was the only real way that we could get that deal done. Are you happy that you did it uh, with hindsight? Yeah, I'm happy that we did it, of course, because, I mean, that gave us the first sort of bulk up, you know, for in order for us to be able to start Long for Life. I mean, it wasn't the cheapest deal that, that I've ever done, but I think that, you know, what, what I wanted to do was to get some kind of scale quickly. And so the three acquisitions that we made, you know, in the early days, as I say, I'm not saying they were the cheapest, but it gave us some some kind of size, which you know put us into at least into play. Right? Whereas if we would have just stuck around with our two billion, and it, it would have taken us a lot longer. So you've invested half of the cash that you raised up front. So I presume you're now looking for bolt-ons or or new acquisitions that are you certainly don't have to um, be aggressive. Yeah. Buying. So we. Correct. We've, we've got, we've got, a, you know, we've got an opportunity now to hang around and wait to see better values, which I think we will see. I think there seems to be a little bit of a, I don't want to call it meltdown, but there's certainly some kind of volatility which is on the downside. So I, I think that we will see some some better values going forward. Um, we we principally concentrated in South Africa, um, so the mood in South Africa is not great at the moment, but. You know, that's the opportunity um, for us. Looking more broadly, Long for Life's greatest opportunity perhaps could lie in its chief executive's unique insight on where the homeland, South Africa, is heading. For the seven years from 2005 to 2012, as BizVest's chief executive, Joffe worked closely with the company's then chairman, who is now South Africa's president, Cyril Ramaphosa. Cyril is a very, very straightforward very competent person and uh, you know you're seeing now the revelation of the facts i think that we will see that going forward i respect him highly and uh, you know i've had a long association with him i'm optimistic that if he's given the space and to me that's the real big issue if he's given the space to to do what he wants to do i think that he will he will he'll do well but having that insight running this business sitting on a billion rands worth of cash must give you an advantage because you seeing the future or the likely future in a different way to potentially those people wanting to sell. Look, it, it is a bit of an advantage, but, you know, the, the one thing is it's, a, you know, small caps are not the flavor of the day. And as you know, I've never really been one that's been in favor of small market capitalization shares. Um, so I, I think... Unless we find and have the ability to bulk up reasonably quickly, I think we're going to get caught up in the same 
under underrating, if that's if that's an English word, where shares don't get properly rated because of this because of their scale. So small small caps never have have been able to gain much traction. You know, so, which is which is different to what the situation was in 1988-89 when we started Bitvest, because there, you know, we had a, a totally different space. We had the same political uncertainty, but we had different ratings because of sanctions and and the like. What have you learned from Bitvest? What mistakes that you made at Bitvest will you not repeat this time around? Bitvest was a, you know, for me, it was an amazing event and uh, we didn't make too many mistakes. I mean, we, every business makes mistakes, but I think <coughs> fundamentally the principles that we, we built Bitvest by were, I think, were sound principles and obviously we'd like to repeat them here. You had a team around you. You had people around you that you'd known, you grew with, you developed, you built. Have you managed to pull any of those over across to you? No, look, you know, we've got a good team of people here. Um, there's one or two people in the group that come out of Bitvest, but they were not in Bitvest at the time that I left. So, no, it's not my intention to do that. I respect Bitvest. It's part of my life, and, uh, you know, I wish it well. But Bitvest also did well by uh, globalizing, by expanding outside the country. Are you not going to do that? Well, not yet, because, you know, as I said, unfortunately, fortunately, we're very, very small. I think that, you know, 5 billion or, or 2 billion in international terms is very little. Uh, you know, with no share rating, it's, it's hard to even contemplate that kind of thing. So uh, our concentration is South Africa. We've got to be real and we've got to build it one piece at a time. And hopefully the rating will return. I suppose as you can get into that cycle where you are small, so you can't sell equity. Uh, you are under, what did you call it, underrated or derated? Yeah, um, yeah underrated. Mm. And, also, and also you don't have the scale. So, you know, we're in a big cap. If the market goes against you, you still have significant wherewithal in order to participate in, in transactions. So in, 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 the scale, in, the, you know, in, in the case of small caps, you don't have the wherewithal to, to participate in anything which is meaningful. So you're sort of like limited in, in where, you can, where you can look. Hmm. So, yeah, but we, you know, as I said, I don't want to sound pessimistic. I think from, from, from our point of view, we're optimistic that we've got a game plan that over the medium term will succeed. And we've just got to do it one piece at a time. What's medium term? Two years. And if a, uh, you're at about a 4 billion rand market cap now? What would you say you'd need to get to to not have this problem of being a small cap? <laughs> Alec, that's a trick question. No, no, it wasn't um, meant to be. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's very difficult to project, but I think I'm not talking about long for life. I'm saying that you have to have somewhere in 10 billion north, north of 10 billion, in order to be a, a, some kind of player in South Africa. From, if you want to play in the international arena, you ought to be more than 20 to 25 billion, in my opinion. Brian, are people knocking on your door? If Warren Buffett were to leave Berkshire Hathaway, I've got no doubt he'll be inundated, even at 88, with lots of people wanting to do business with him. Are you having the same in a South African sense? Well, I think it's twofold. One is, I mean, there are a lot of people that do come through the door, but there's also a lot of intimidation. People are a bit intimidated by the fact that this reputation of mine sort of says, listen, I don't do deals that are lucrative for, for the seller. You know, people believe that I only do you know, very cheap deals. So it's it's a bit, I suppose, twofold, I guess. In reality, at the end of the day, 
you can only buy businesses at the market price. I mean, if, you know, you know, if, if one thinks that what you, every deal you can do is at below market, I think that's just folly. But using Buffett again, people knock on his door for different reasons. They don't go there to try and get the highest price because they know they could find some fool to pay them more. But on the other hand, they go there because of what he can add from the capital allocation expertise that he has, which clearly is, is your particular strength. Well, look, our model is a little bit different. I mean, you know, in the case of Warren Buffett, Warren Buffett's an investor, buys minority stakes, doesn't really participate greatly in management and the like. In our particular case, what we really are trying to do, we always try to do is to buy 100% of the business, which takes the, the entrepreneur who's selling out of, out of his own environment. And so in, in many instances, and, you know, unless you find somebody who's looking to emigrate or retire or whatever, whatever, these people are wanting to hang on to their assets. So that's why it's a little bit more difficult in our space because, because of our, I suppose, desire to get 100%. So your model is then to get turnaround opportunities or, or businesses that you can then rebound yeah, rather than, than good businesses where the entrepreneurs stay Yeah, in. so we so we would like people who are finding that the businesses are not performing well, those are the ones we'd like to see come through the door. But why why would you go for that kind of business, Brian? What's Well, you know, if you're going to buy the, the best businesses, then you've got no upside. What is the, what is the upside? You, you, you're just going to perpetuate what some other manager is doing and get his growth rates. What we would like to be able to do is to buy those businesses that are underperforming, make them into performing businesses, and, and then still get the the upside, so the growth upside. So it's, it's a different thing. I think, uh, you know, even in the case of Bidvest, I mean, many of the acquisitions were underperforming businesses where, where people felt that they, they just didn't have the wherewithal themselves. I mean, the initial Chipkins business, it's a case in point. It wasn't necessarily a bad business, but the Chipkins saw that from their point of view that they couldn't couldn't get it to, to another level. So that's why they did the deal. And what about being 71 years old? At a time when most of his peers are dipping into their retirement plans, Joffe is very much in the fray. If you take the modern generation, you know, I think 70s, look, I don't feel very much older than I felt when I was 40, but... So I'm enjoying what I'm doing. I think I have the experience. Um, and so we bat on and I'm, ha- I'm having fun and hopefully the people who work in the organization are having fun too. And this new business, Clayton, that you bought post the financial results, which we're going to talk about in a moment to the end of August, is this a new area that you'd like to build around? Well, you know, we're in the lifestyle, le- well, it's not leisure, but in the lifestyle space. Um, we needed a strategic foothold in order to be able to build a, bu- a business in, a, in and around health. And this gives us some access into a regulated space with some good ideas that we've got in order to be able to, to grow and to consolidate that space. So, yeah. Um, look, it's a very, it's a very smallish acquisition at, at this point in time and we'll see how we go. But there is a new area in, in the wellness space. What, what got you excited about that area of, of, of the economy? Well, I, I think that, you know, retirement and old age, if you take the, the booming population of those people that are now in the 70 to 90 space, I think that's a big market. And it's not necessarily only in their own direct retirement space and health space, but also it affects grandchildren. It affects, you know, it's just space that I think that, 
you know, there's a market opportunity there. So, you know, if you take Sportsman's Warehouse, for example, one of the biggest attractions to me of Sportsman's Warehouse is that the, peop- the, the, the children aspect, or not necessarily the children, the grandchildren aspect, a lot of people, many people bring, bring their grandchildren shopping at Sportsman's Warehouse. It's quite incredible to see. And so the opportunity in and around grand, grandchildren and grandparents, I think, is, is a big opportunity. When you have a look at the breakdown of Long for Life at the moment, from the interims to the end of August, you've certainly the sports uh, or hold sport, sportsman's warehouse, etc., is, is the biggest chunk by far, almost. Well, two, that's two about sixty percent, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then uh, you've got a nice uh, a group uh, or chunk in in chill beverages, but this wellness space seems very small, relative. Well, look, I mean, if you take it's 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 wellness and health. So if you take sorbet, for example, it's Related to well-being, beauty. Uh, so when you start to scale that up, you can get into Botox and all that kind of stuff. That's more medical than it is than it is beauty, and it's beginning to aesthetics. Aesthetics. It's a big space, and it's a changing space. And um, we've got some some ideas what we'd like to do there. So Brian, with the three arms that you have at the moment. Are, are you going to look for another arm to add to it, or are these the focus areas at Long for Life? What, what I don't want to do, I mean, I, I can't answer the question, but I can give it to you in the negative. What we don't want to do is to land up with a whole lot of small businesses and having to manage this, uh, uh, a broad spectrum of, of little businesses in, in diverse activities. That's very difficult to do. Um, so we'd like to scale up the three we've got, and if we find something else which is – you know, fits fits our, uh, our criteria, then yeah, maybe. Your watchwords at Bidvest were entrepreneurial and decentralized. Are you running long for Same, yeah. Same, exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Same, same. And where are you finding I, the, the entrepreneurs? Where are you finding the people to, to help? Well, you? the people basically, if, if, you know, are in the businesses. So the, the three businesses that we've acquired, the three people, uh, Ian Fur, um, Grant Hobbs and Corbus Lopesho, they, they come out of the businesses themselves. And those businesses have got good people in them. We haven't spoken about beverages. Why did you go into that, in, into Chul? What was the appeal? The appeal was it was opportunistic. Somebody came along and said, do you want to be in the beverage business? I said, okay, sounds good to me. And it's an emerging, it's an emerging niche market. So if you take... The customer profiles of the business of the of the beverages beverages that they sell. It's an interesting, very interesting business, mm. and one that will will grow even though the economy is under under stress. It certainly looked so from the the six month. Well, certainly, certainly in the energy drink part of the, uh, part of the market. I mean, that's you know obviously that's a big space, potential space. Brian, every year in Buffett's uh, annual report, he writes there that if you've got a business that suits our criteria, phone me. I'm, I'm, I'm waiting with bated breath next to the phone. Do you have a message like that out there to entrepreneurs, given that South Africa is going through a, a period where some people are losing? They aren't as positive as you are about the future. Okay, so the message is, well, my name is not Warren Buffett. My name is Brian Joffe. <laughs> If you have any businesses or any ideas that would help me build Long for Life, I'd appreciate you hearing from you. I'm even happy to give you my mobile number. Okay, but you're not, you're not waiting with bated breath next to the phone. No, I am. I mean, I get a lot of calls. I mean, it's not, you know, I get three or four calls a day. 
have from people who've got, you know, a willingness to do something. I mean, not not three or four are worth exploring, but but I, I have the calls. You know, people wanting magic. There's no magic. You can't create magic out of nothing. You've got to have something in order to be able to create the magic. But you know, a lot of people say, well, I've got this business. I'm not making money. Will you do this, this, or that, whatever? And you, it's just not possible. You know what I mean? People sometimes are dreaming. Just honing back here, there's a billion rand in cash. You are ungeared, totally ungeared. What kind of gearing level, given your experience in the past, would you be comfortable carrying? Well, obviously, depending on the, on the acquisition, but I, I would say that from our point of view, we, we've got capacity to, to do about a $2.5 billion transaction without any equity. Are you hunting elephants, in other words, or are you looking to, to – uh, would, you, would you prefer to get one $2.5 billion rand acquisition no, or, no, no, no. or bolt-ons? I think, I think the chances of us, of us finding a $2.5 billion acquisition, I think, are probably slim. You know, it was this. You know, the pond is it's got lots of sharks in it. A lot of people looking for deals, and uh, you know, once you start to get to that kind of level, there's many there are many participants in the market. You know, when you're at this kind of level, when you're dealing in in, the, in say one or two billion, you know, there's a big tank of sharks in the in that particular space in South Africa. South Africa, you know, a billion in South Africa used to be a lot. It's a lot less these days. Given his track record, Brian Joffe might well be smarting at Long for Life's low share price. But he's confident that given time, say two years, that'll all be sorted out. Helped along the way by a belief that his former chairman, Cyril Ramaphosa, has a plan that will work out just fine for South Africa. This has been The Rational Perspective. I'm Alec Hogg. Until the next time, cheerio.